0: and chapter 2. We will read the passage that we have been studying for a while now and uh, I'll begin from verse 18 to the end of the chapter, although we are essentially just looking at two verses today and that is verse 24 and verse 25. The reason why I want us to read up to the end of the chapter is because from verse 24 downwards, a small word is introduced and it is the word abide and you will notice that it survives the two verses that we are looking at this morning. 1st John chapter 2 verse 18. Children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming So now, many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all... You all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, Abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Well, brethren, it's been a bit of a a, a lengthy breath since we last had our studies in this first epistle of John, under the theme of assurance of eternal salvation. We have been seeing this uh, from the very first chapter. Uh, because John stated somewhere towards the end of this epistle. that the reason why he has written as he has done is so that those who believe in Jesus, the Son of God, may know that they have or that they possess eternal life. And the subject of assurance is an important one. It is important, first of all, primarily uh, for the sake of those of us who are Christians in order for us to, as it were, put behind us any issues of doubt so that we may concentrate on what needs to be done. If you are a doubting Thomas, your energies are spent so much On the question, am I a Christian or am I not? Am I a Christian or am I not? That you don't actually have the time and energy to share the good news to the world around you that Jesus Christ says, come to Him. And too many Christians are busy navel-gazing in that sense. They are too busy biting their nails, uh, not knowing what or where they are. That in fact they are not really counting For the cause of Jesus Christ on earth So if you are in that category This series is meant to, to enable you to come out of that mound So that you might be a true soldier of Jesus Christ um, Having your spiritual impact upon the world But the other reason why this series is so important Is because of the possibility of of self-deception. There, there are many individuals who think they are Christians when they are not. Because churches have their factory made processes through which they, they, they bring people into the kingdom as it were. If you've repeated a prayer, if you have walked to the front, if you've raised your hand while somebody was praying for you then you are now a child of God. And a lot of people who think they are Christians because they sincerely believed the preacher who told them, do this and do that and consequently you are a Christian. And even though in their own hearts things seem to be suggesting otherwise, they still hang on to that which was said to them. Now look on the judgment day. You won't say Pastor Mbewe said this to me. That's why I, I think I ought to get into heaven. You should be able to say to God. Your word says this. And because this is true of me. That is why I have had the confidence. Through my life. That I belong to you. And I ought to come into your kingdom. And so that's what we're doing. We're going through First John. Looking at the various tests that John himself gives us and saying what he is saying is true of believers is true of me therefore surely I should be a Christian. In the passage that we are now looking at John is is using the test of belief right belief. If what you believe concerning God and his way of salvation is not the biblical teaching, then you are not a Christian. That's basically what he's saying. Or so if at one time you thought you believed it and have since abandoned it altogether and gone after so many other things, John is saying you've never been a Christian at all. On the other hand, If your belief is right, and with all the wrong teachings that are sweeping all around you, you are still, for dear life's sake, hanging on to that gospel message as the only way of salvation. That's what you really believe, he is saying, then you're a child of God. That's the kind of test he is using here. And so, I've been using this phrase, what you believe really matters. What you believe really matters. If I come to you and I say, assuming I'm a non-Christian, Tell me, in about five sentences, how I can become a Christian. If your answer is wrong, then let me tell you. You yourself are not a Christian. You're still on your way to hell. Period. That's what he's saying here. What you believe really matters. Now in verse 24 and 25, uh, the, the Apostle John... To this same matter, but he he, he couches it or he clothes it with a sense of human responsibility. He is saying, "Look, this is not simply okay. Yeah, 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 yeah so I must be alright. There is something you must be deliberately doing about it. That's what he is saying. Let me read those two verses again." And uh, I think it's important for you to, to, to capture this. Verse 24. Let what you heard from me, rather from the beginning, abide in you. Let it abide in you. Do something. Allow it to abide in you. In fact, in the Greek, the, 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 verse 24 begins with the word You. It's as if he's been speaking generally. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And then he says you now. You. I'm talking to you. Let what you have heard from the beginning. Abide in you. Why is that important? I've said this to you before. I want to say it again. John. Rarely gives injunctions in this epistle. Very rarely. In fact, this is the second time since he began writing this letter that he's telling us to do anything. The first time was when he says, don't love the world, don't do it. This is the second time that he's telling us to do something and this time he is saying, Let that which you already have abide in you. What are we learning from this? You see, remaining faithful to the truths of the gospel is a mark of true conversion. Remaining faithful to the truths of the gospel is one of the major marks of true conversion <laughs> that's basically what he is talking about here when he's saying that which you learned from the beginning what was it that you learned from the beginning by beginning is obviously referring to the beginning of your christian life When when the Christian gospel came among you, you heard it, you responded to it in genuine repentance and faith. Here was a message that was not simply saying this is a formula to go into heaven, although it also said that, but it began with this is who Father, Son and Holy Spirit This is how he has functioned in his person and in the world. This is what sin has consequently done. In breaking asunder Your relationship with this great God. But this is what this great God has done in order to bring us to himself. The father has said his son. To bear our sins and to bear the punishment for our sins. And the Son has carried out that responsibility until He's on the cross and He suffers the shame and punishment that our sins deserve. Completely, as it were, drinking in our hell on our behalf. And having done that, we are all implored to abandon sin, to surrender, to come to this Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and plead with Him that He might have mercy upon us, that He might receive us to Himself, believing in Him, believing in what He has done. That's what you heard in the beginning. And that's how you came. And that's how you got saved. And John is saying, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Remember I said that there's this little word that comes in here. Abide in you. Basically what he is saying there is that this message of salvation that you had, now meditate upon it, drink it in, consciously and deliberately, so focus your attention upon it, that that becomes and remains the foundation of your hope for heaven. Now the word abide is, is, a, is, a, is a phrase that John most likely picked from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a rich word. Let's quickly go to John and chapter 15. John 15. Where the Lord Jesus Christ used it over and over again. It's a word that that has to do with, with dwelling, staying in a place comfortably, deliberately, just being there, to abide, to dwell, to stay. To live, John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that has spoken to you. And there it is. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now there we already have a picture. A branch and a tree. A branch doesn't just get stuck in there and quickly out, and then it's producing its fruit. No, 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 no. It's it's stuck in there. It's it's dwelling in there. It's staying in there. And consequently the rich sap, is coming out and going through it and into the extra branches and consequently through the leaves. And the f- is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So again, it is. he's saying the way in which the Christian finally bears fruit is exactly the same way in which the branch bears fruit. It is by this abiding. Now, there's a sense in which part of it is what God himself has done. Because when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit immerses you into Christ. He he connects you. He unites you with Christ in a spiritual union. So that the life of Christ flows through you. But in another sense where, and that's what we'll be spending our time on this morning. Where it's a deliberate activity on your part. You are consciously dwelling on severing. Something of who Christ is. You are dwelling upon. You are deliberately, as it were, allowing your mind and your heart to to reach, to to receive the the fullness of this truth concerning Christ and his salvation. You are dwelling upon this. You are drinking in this nourishment. He says there in verse 6 still John 15 If anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. And obviously that's talking about the false believer. On the outside, apparently one of us but on the inside, no connection with Jesus Christ. And in due season, falls away and meets his own true end. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and so on. So he continues. Verse 9, as the fathers loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. In other words, drink in that love. Let it nourish you. Let it be a deliberate activity on your part. Okay, so back to our text. John clearly borrows this picture of this abiding, this dwelling, this staying. And he is saying, if this message that you heard from the beginning, if you let it abide in you, a few things are going to happen. But at this stage, he's saying, let it do so. This is the injunction. Now, this is crucial. This is crucial because a Christian never graduates from those first. Messages of salvation. Whatever do. It's not something you leave behind and you've now gone on to something else. No. True Christianity is that those same truths that you believed in at the point of your becoming a Christian, those same truths. Are the ones that you continue, as it were, to feast upon, to dig deeper into, so that they nourish your soul. You never graduate from Christ. You never graduate from the cross. No. Instead, all you do is you appreciate more and more and more something of its grandeur. The grace of God, for instance, in salvation. When you become a Christian, yes, you you believe it's by grace. But you know, it's with the passing of years that each time you go back there, grace seems to take on a deeper meaning, a richer color, an overwhelming sense comes over you as you think in terms of grace. As you grow in your appreciation of the cross, you grow more and more to love the Savior of the cross. In other words, Jesus Christ himself becomes more and more dear to you. Special to you unique to you. He's one that you want to give your, yourself to more and more as you gaze upon his giving himself to you more and more. The Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians puts it this way in, in Colossians chapter 2. It's uh, an important statement and therefore I want you to go there with me Colossians chapter 2 uh, the reason why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians among many others is that uh, there were people who were in Coloss in the church in Coloss who were bringing in basically the legalism of, uh, the, um, of Judaism uh, the do not touch you know do not eat, do not this and do not that and and Paul was concerned that the the Colossians don't miss the fact that Christianity is about Christ, the supremacy of Christ, your relationship with christ that's primarily what it's all about and therefore he says in chapter two and verse six and seven he says therefore as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. In other words, continue in the same way. Just the way you received him is the way you should continue in him. Then it says, rooted and built up, notice, in him. And established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So you don't graduate from Christ. Just the way in which you received Him, those truths, those glorious truths, that when you believed, ushered you from darkness to light, from from sin to salvation, those same truths continue to drink deeply from them. Continue to do so. What's going to happen? Well, two things. First of all, when you remain faithful to gospel truths and deliberately serve them, you will find yourself experiencing the saving and sanctifying effects a growing relationship with God. Let me say that again, it's a mouthful. When you are faithful to this same message, the gospel of your salvation, and deliberately take time to dwell there, to drink deeply from it, you will find yourself experiencing the saving and sanctifying effects of a conscious relationship with God. And this is what John has in mind, back to our text, when he literally repeats himself. Back to our text. First John, chapter 2, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And he repeats. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, this is the fruit, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. That's what's going to happen. There is you severing, dwelling in these truths. The result of it is that you find yourself dwelling in and abiding in the Son and the Father. Th- that might sound like a lot of technical stuff, but it's very simple. I want to repeat. John is using picture language. That's all he's doing. He's, th- that's John. That's his character. He is very poetic and he seems to dwell in the concrete. But what it's essentially saying is that as you dwell in these truths, okay, you dwell in these saving truths, you get nourished by them. What you essentially find is that it results in a rich relationship with the person. Of the Son of God. That's what begins to happen. You are dwelling in these truths. The result is that you are dwelling in, you are being nourished in, you are falling deeper in love with God the Son. The very one who saves you, the very one who died for you on the cross, The one who came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. And as your relationship with the son grows and deepens, what you are finding is that consequently your relationship with the father is also growing and deepening. So you are abiding in, in in an ongoing, real and conscious way, with the Father and with the Son. That's what it's saying here. And I want to repeat, friends, that's what Christianity is about. It's not so much about rules of do's and don'ts. It's about my relationship with God. But it's only a relationship with God that, that, that you, you, you experience in a vacuum. Just saying to yourself, no me, I'm related to God. Me, God is my father. Jesus is my elder brother. And just, no, 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 no. no. It is as you are drinking deeply into the gospel that message of salvation, that these things begin to happen and become very, very real to you. The opposite is equally true. When men and women abandon the gospel, they lose out on this relationship with the Father, and with the sun. They lose out. And you know who the major in now? is the devil. That's the one they now start concentrating on. Because you see, they've lost sight of the fact that there is this great and glorious, abounding salvation that the sun has procured for me a calvary I'm now in his hands I dwell with him his superabounding love covers me all around they lose sight of that so now it's the one who's very real is the devil and every time you say to them anything has happened to you, the very first thing they say is the devil is a liar I don't believe you fact, we must now bind him. Bind the devil and lose. I don't know what it is they are losing. But it's always the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. Mm-hmm. And, it to be, ah, and it was just an hour ago you were binding him. Who has lost him? Who? Because he seems to be an ongoing activity God. The loss of this glorious gospel. And then straight from binding him, the next moment, they are living in sin. So, what happens right here? You you just finish an overnight prayer meeting binding him, and then you know, you fall. He's a liar. He's a liar. You know, he's a liar. So we bind him again. That's not Christianity, friends. That's not Christianity. And yet so many people have been caught up in all this. Everything is about the devil, it's about other human beings, they, they cannot rest in a Saviour who has deeply loved But when you dwell on God's immeasurable, infinite love displayed in all its rainbow colors and calvary, it is that's happening in your life. You come away saying love with everlasting love led by grace is love to know. Spirit breathing from above. Thou hast taught me it is so. All oh, this full and perfect peace. All oh, this transport. All divine in a love that cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. You're overwhelmed. By such love, things that once were world alarms, cannot now disturb my rest. Clothed in everlasting arms, pillowed on this loving breast. Oh, to lie forever here. Doubt and care and self-resign while he whispers in my ear, I am his and he is mine. Where is that coming from? Gazing upon the cross. Gazing upon the cross. And by that I am not suggesting that you have a rosary in front of you with a physical cross. But you are gazing upon the truth of the cross. The truth of Calvary. The truth Of the gospel, those truths that brought you to salvation. As you make them your chief diet, you love the Lord more. In fact, you experience more of His love in an overwhelming way. You dwell in the Son, you dwell in the Father. Therefore, the storms around you, they are still there, but they cannot touch you. They cannot. He goes on to argue that this experience of severing the soul nourishing truths of the gospel. And that's experiencing fellowship with the Son and with the Father, with all its sanctifying effects. This is what experiencing eternal life in this life is all about. This is the fulfillment of God's promise. When he's promised eternal life. This is it. You, you've begun to enjoy it. Look at the way he puts it. In that last verse. verse 25. Last in terms of what we are looking at together. verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Uh, Allow me to keep using phrases like in the Greek, not because I always like it, but because sometimes the English versions don't bring out the emphasis that easily. And this is the promise that he himself made to us. There is an autos there, himself. He Himself made to us. And obviously that's emphasis. What is this? And this is the promise. What is this? And this is the promise. It's this which you are experiencing. As you are abiding in the Son. And abiding in the Father. And there is a saving and sanctifying effect. And there is this fellowship that you are enjoying in Him. And you're overwhelmed with the, the richness of this grand salvation, as you go through life with all its realities, all its challenges, all its trials, and you are as were, walking nine inches above the ground in the midst of all the blasts that are taking place and all the bullets as it were, that are going right past your head and you are still overwhelmed by this love. You, you are marching to Zion with a song on your heart. He is saying, dear friend, you are experiencing the very thing that he promised. Eternal life is not going to begin after you die. No. It begins when you come to Christ. That's when he gives it to you. You will have eternal life. I want you to know this. John goes on to say, and as you are dwelling in him and experiencing him this way, you are experiencing this eternal life here on earth. That's what you're doing when uh, Isaac Watts wrote the hymn uh, We Are Marching to Zion he, he, he said that the reason why he wrote it was because the, the, the brethren were singing the praise of God as though they were half dead. Eh? and just "No, for, for, we can't say we'll start singing with zest when we get to heaven man, salvation has we're already drinking it in. We're overwhelmed by, by, by infinite love upon our souls. And so it says the hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets. And we start enjoying them here, here, now. Not when we get to heaven. There, of course will be completely overwhelmed but it's here that's when we begin to, to enjoy those glorious, glorious truths and their saving and sanctifying effects upon us and what it will be like when we get to heaven we don't know I mean if it's overwhelming like this here we don't know what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. Let me put it this way. That true Christians are experiencing heaven on earth. Everybody lives differently. Non Christians know absolutely nothing about this. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I do want to to challenge you, brethren. I do it from time to time. I sit down with non-Christians and I say to them, between you and me, who's enjoying life? Look them in the face. Who? And as I often say, the proof that it's me, It's because I'm the one who's crossing the road to come and say to you, come. Yes, that's the proof. Because if it was you, surely you'd be coming to me to say, come and enjoy with us. But I know that these truths have not only saved me, but as I dwell upon them, I drink them in. There is a fellowship I have with God the Son, and God the Father. There is a sanctifying effect it has upon me. I continue to grow in my hatred for sin. Not just outward sin, not just verbal sin, but even sins in the heart. I want to love Him more, I want to grow in my holiness. And it's not because I'm following do's and don'ts, no! It's because I'm experiencing life eternal here below. And it's a glorious reality. It's real. If you don't know anything of it, it's because you are not a Christian. Doesn't matter what you repeated before that preacher. You don't know salvation. This is what he promised. Life eternal, now. That's what He promised. Let me remind you as I rush on to close, that this is primarily an injunction. He is saying, let what you heard at the beginning or in the beginning abide in you. You know, I I love children and I love observing them. When they are eating and uh, they discover on the plate that one of the items there is very nice, palatable, the, the test buds are sort of dancing at chewing that. You know what they do? They sort of put that in a corner first of the plate. <laughs> eh? And the kids are saying, amen here. <laughs> <laughs> they start finishing off everything else. Now you, you think, ah, maybe he doesn't like it. Ah! ah. In fact, the eye ah is constantly there. Constantly. And finally. Eh? <laughs> and you didn't teach them that. No, you didn't. Finally. And they don't swallow quickly. Uh-uh. They really, eh, really enjoy everything in it. Eh, Amen? (laughs) Okay, they're in a Baptist church, they know how to behave. (laughs) But it's, it's all that John is saying here. That's all he's saying. That there are certain truths you don't want to graduate from. You want to just park there as they say at feeding stations. Switch off engine. Apply brakes. And in this case, I said, even take out the keys and throw them outside. Just, just dwell there. Just dwell there. The cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. Dwell. Dwell. Dwell upon it until your soul sets it. Marvellous grace of my loving Grace that has exceeded my sin and my guilt. Yonder thou coverest cross dispense. What love! 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 For me, and you want to go out of that place and say, I don't just want to live for you, Lord, I even want to die. No price will be token. I love you because you love me, friends. That's Christianity, that's eternal life for you. It's begun now. When you get to heaven, all you do is now to say, Now I see you face to face. But I've walked with you in love these years. Never, ever, graduate. Never. When we young Christians, which is over 30 years ago now, we had friends that were always telling us, Christ. Is for salvation. Now what you need is the Holy Spirit. Friends, 30 years later, I'm glad we didn't listen to them. Their lives are in shambles. 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 You never graduate from Christ. Never graduate from that cross. Spirit of the Living God will burn Christ in you, but it's your responsibility to keep drinking deeply from the wells of salvation. Have a well-beaten path to the cross. Never ever graduate from there. Amen.